say that you are so awesome. We thank you for every guest, every family member that's here today. Because God, there are no visitors. God, it's just people who have discovered us for the first time. That God, now they're part of a family and we're so excited about that. And God, we pray that you would touch everyone that's come in here today. God, we yield our heart to you right now. We may be struggling in our minds. We may be struggling in our bodies. But God, right now, we yield our hearts to you and we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Can we know you in a greater way? We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, shout amen in the house. Come on, high five three people around you and say, you'll never lose in Jesus. You'll never lose in Jesus. You'll never lose in Jesus. Amen. Wow, you're looking good today. You're looking good, looking good. I'm really excited today to begin a new series. If this is your first time to church, you came on a good week. We're beginning a new series. And, and I just really believe this, again, is such a timely series because of the climate, the culture, the circumstance, the situation that we find ourselves in today. Why? Because as children of God, we are faced almost every day with a dilemma. And you know what that dilemma is? The dilemma is this. How can we engage with our culture without compromising our faith? How can we engage? How can we be a part of relationships, friendships? How can we walk in this world today? It's a dilemma. Without compromising our faith. When culture shifts. Have you noticed the shift in culture lately? And it's going to be constantly shifting. The Bible says that these are the end days when we see these circumstances and situations happening because the Bible speaks about men will will not give in to sound doctrine any longer, but they'll want to do things their own way. They'll want to follow their own desires, their hearts, their own feelings. We're in the end times. Culture is shifting, but when it shifts, how can I stand firm? How can I stand firm? Because I believe as children of God... God has called us to stand firm. So how do we stand, Pastor, in a bowing world? Have you ever felt that? That many times you feel exposed because you seem to be the only one that's not laughing at that joke. You seem to be the only one that's not participating in that game or you're not going along with this. And everyone else is looking at you like you're an alien, like you're crazy, like who do you think that you are? So when culture is bombarding us, what do we do? I'm telling you what we need to do. We need to be correct and we need to be helpful. But sometimes it feels like the gospel message is no longer relevant to this day. It feels like we're old fashioned. We're behind the time. It's almost like sometimes the enemy makes us feel like the Bible was for them, but it's not for now. Because the Bible doesn't define this. The Bible doesn't talk about this. And how wrong we are because the Bible is just as much for today as it was for them. But the enemy wants us to think it's old-fashioned, it's fake, it's not real. So we will, what, be embarrassed of it, not share it, not be a part of it. And we'll bow and go along with everything else that the world says. Because the tendency that we have is that today we want to submit many times and give in to the culture. How can we fight against something so great? To help us with that dilemma, we're going to look at the story of Daniel for the next four, five, six weeks, however long it takes. We may even go up to Christmas. I don't know. Because I don't want to rush through this because I believe there's some questions that need to be answered. I believe that there's some lessons that need to be shown. I believe there's things that we need to learn because we need to understand our position and our stand when everyone else 
is bowing. We're going to look at how Daniel was righteous before he was right. He wasn't just right, he was righteous. You see, I think the church has got it long for, wrong for too long. We want to be right, and, and we're going to be right at any cost. But our rightness many times, literally, I believe, slams the gospel closed in the face of people. For what reason? We present such an image and such a picture of what it needs to be a Christian that those who are so far away from it believe there's no chance that they'll ever be able to make it so there's no hope. So the door is crashed, smashed, slammed shut. I can never become a Christian. So really being right many times we can disengage ourselves from other people. Where God didn't call us to be right, God called us to be righteous. Righteous, and that's a big difference. Why? Because righteous has to do with the actions of our life. Because our righteousness is like not just living right, and it's not just doing right. But true righteousness is saying, how can I be like Christ? How can I follow the example of Christ? Righteousness looks to bridge the gap, creating hope for what seems to be hopeless situations all around us. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and... Notice first, it has to be God's kingdom. Many Christians have sought the kingdom of God. They're saved, but they stop at salvation and don't go to the next step. Because God says, now I've saved you. I want to sanctify you. That's a process where God wants to change you. So the things that you used to do and the things that you wanted to do are a thing of the past. Because now you have a new desire because you're serving a new master. And your longing desire is to please him and love him and to be him like like him so you want to be righteous righteousness is not perfection because we're not perfect but God is perfecting us changing us every day that we would seek his righteousness and then the promise is all things will be added to our lives an incredible chapter read chapter 6 of Matthew and see what God wants to add to your life but it comes through the kingdom but also through being Christ-like Through being like Christ. And here's what we need to see around us today. Perhaps more than ever, we have a privilege of being able to love other people. And offer them God's truth. And the truth that we have to offer the people around us is this. Are you ready? We're all sinful. And we're all in need of a saviour. We just showed up, some of us, at the hospital a little bit earlier than other people. But we're all sick and we need the help of a Savior. I need Jesus every day to help me in my life. I need Him to help me, to make me more Christ-like every day. To take away the things of my life. And the very reason Jesus came was, He came to be a sacrifice. To make it fully possible for us to find hope in a relationship with a holy God. For him to extend his forgiveness and grace towards us. And that's the gospel message that God now has put a responsibility upon us. To share, to carry that grace, to carry that love, to carry that mercy to other people. But are we so interested in being right? That we forget the fact that God has called us to be righteous. Righteous. Here's what I've often said and you'll hear me say it again. 
In this church, we believe this. You don't curse the darkness. You light a candle. Come on, you don't curse the darkness. Oh, it's so dark. It's so bad. Listen, we're going to light a candle of hope because God has called us to bring hope to this world. We see a great example of this when the religious leaders drag the woman caught in the very act of adultery and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. They threw her at the feet of Jesus demanding judgment because they reminded Jesus of what the law required as her punishment. The punishment for the sin of her life was death by stoning. And they were ready as they had rocks and stones in their hands ready to cast at her, to condemn her, to pronounce judgment on her. And the Bible says they did this to trap Jesus. Do you ever feel like you're in a trap that whatever you say it's maybe going to be taken the wrong way? They were trying to trap Jesus between the old law, which was the traditional way of righteousness before God. But... And then there was the new grace that Jesus had been teaching and preaching. What would you do? Follow the law or follow grace? And the response that Jesus gives them left them not only speechless, but the response Jesus gave them left them empty-handed. One after one, the rocks fell. John 8, 7, 11, And when they had continued asking him, Jesus raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again he stooped down and he began to write in the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus raised himself up, He saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, and she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. You see, we stop there many times. The world wants to stop there because the world wants to present a gospel where, hey, you've got to accept everyone because Jesus did that. Yes, Jesus did accept everyone. He didn't condemn anyone. But you've got to read on because he didn't also condone the sin that we do in our lives because he says, I don't condemn you, but you've got to go and you've got to sin no more. Jesus didn't condemn but he didn't condone her wrong. He shows her grace, but he doesn't let her off the hook either. He tells her, go and sin no longer. You see, when culture shifts, when we're faced with these times that we're in right now, we have the tendency to go to the extremes. We hide in the extremes. We just lock down and say, well, this is what the Bible says and that's it. Or we just let it all go and say, let's just open the doors and just let everyone in. We have the tendency to jump to the extremes. Jesus doesn't do that. He bridges between the extremes and he shows love and righteousness. He shows how we can still stand firm. But yet from our position, we can still reach out and extend love 
to those around. If you don't hear anything else today, you need to grab this. Are you ready? Truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace. I'm right. But if I don't give it in grace, it's mean. And people are going to be shunned away from God. But come on, grace. That extension of love. But it has to have truth with it. Because if it doesn't, it's meaningless. What are you saying, Pastor? We've got to have grace. And we've got to have truth. We've got to have truth. We've got to live by truth. But we've got to extend grace to other people around us. Well, pastor, that's okay. Jesus did that. He's supposed to do that. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Yeah, but Jesus came for what reason? To give an example for us to follow. To show us the way. And you need to hear this today. It is still possible to stand and remain true to God when the culture all around us tries to make us believe it's impossible. And in the process, in living our lives, we have today a greater opportunity to impact and influence people like never before. We don't shut them off because God doesn't write them off. God looks at ways how we can write them in. And I want to bring to you today, I thought I was going to be able to do all of this part in one message, but... We're going to have to come back with a second and maybe a third message for just this first part. But I want to show you how Satan desires to undermine your stand. You're trying to stand firm. In church, you're saying amen to pastor. But it's tough when you get out and the rubber hits the road. And I want to help us through the life, as I said, of Daniel. Because I believe there's great truths here. Because we can't just say, oh, that's Jesus. This was a man, Daniel, like every one of us. And when we look at his story and what he had to go through, he went through probably more than most of us will ever face. But he learned how to engage in his culture by never compromising his faith. And that's the key. That's the key. So here's the primary attack of Satan. Are you ready? There's three key things he wants to attack us with. Number one is he wants to rename us. Secondly, he wants to tame us so we will conform. He wants to badger us and push us so much that we just begin to give in to those things. And then the last thing he wants to do is he wants to test us, put us through the struggles and the trials. Why? Because he wants to claim us. He wants to have ownership over our lives. And today we're going to look at point number one, how he wants to rename you. We're talking about an identity crisis. That's the title of our message. An identity crisis. Let me give you some history, if I could, on Daniel. How Daniel and the others were with him had to trust God in one of the most decadent cultures in all of history. Ancient Babylon was one of the most evil cultures there is. Probably more evil in some ways than the world that we live in today. So history goes that after King David, the one who had the heart of God and his son Solomon, Israel as a nation went south in a hurry. Within a few generations, the kingdom was divided. They had the ten northern kingdoms. They had the two southern kingdoms. 
the northern tribes abandoned their faith and they began to worship false gods. God, as you can imagine, is not pleased with this. But he sends a warning after warning to try and get them to repent and turn back to him. But they refuse to repent. They refuse to turn back. And God allows the Assyrians to conquer them. You can read this in 2 Kings chapter 17. The two southern tribes that were left were Judah and Benjamin. They were the tribes where Daniel was raised. That was where he was born. And unfortunately, they soon followed suit. For a short period of time, they remained true to God. But even seeing the results of what happened to the ten northern kingdoms, it wasn't long before they too forsook God. God again gives them warnings. He sends prophets. He sends voices saying, if you don't turn, trouble is going to come. But there's no repentance. There's no turning back to him. And now their judgment arises in the form of the Babylonians under the ruler, King Nebuchadnezzar. And after conquering Assyria and Egypt, he now descends on Judah and he conquers and takes the city of Jerusalem. He loots the city. He loots the nation. And he enslaves many of the people. Many which he takes back as exiles, removes them from their homeland and takes them to Babylon. Daniel was one of those. Most people believe that Daniel was probably around about 16 years of age when he was taken into Babylon. It's not looking good for him. It's not looking good for those who have gone with him. But listen. Because he serves God, Daniel never gives up. But he trusts God. What an example for every one of us. As a 16-year-old man, he stands up against the most evil nation and culture perhaps this world in history has ever known. He didn't conform to the demands of the king Nebuchadnezzar and all the pagan customs of Babylon, but neither did he stand up with self-righteousness, judgment, or became defensive. And the Bible tells us for the next 70 years, Daniel faced threatening tests. He saw his friends go into the fiery furnace. He himself had to face a night in a lion's den. But no matter what, through all the cultural shifts around him, he never wavered in his faith. Wow. He never wavered in his faith. Daniel ended up serving four emperors of the Babylonian Empire. And finally, Cyrus, the last emperor, granted the Jewish people of whom Daniel was freedom so they could return home. You know what that shows to me? That's influence. I said, that's influence. That's influence that one person changed the whole course of history. Because when you stand, you think alone. You're never standing alone when you're in God. Because you're never the minority with God. You're always the majority in God. And through one man, a whole nation is released and freed and allowed to go back home. That's the type of influence that I want to live in my life. But I'm telling you, that type of influence comes at a great cost. I said it comes at a great cost. It comes at a decision that we've got to make. Because there's a dilemma, there's a fight, there's a struggle against us. And oh, it's so easy to give in. 
but it's a lot harder to make a stand. So today I want to talk about the first part of this message. What do we do when the enemy wants to steal your identity? Because that's what he wants to do. The enemy wants to take your identity, identity theft. Why? Because he wants to rename me. Let's just read the story of Daniel, the beginning part of Daniel, verses 1 through 6, some of which I just talked about. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which were carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his gods, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of God. In other words, he's plundering the temple. He's plundering and taking from God and taking those things for himself. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessions, knowledge, And quick to understand who had ability to serve the king's palace. And to whom they may teach the languages and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies. And the wine which he drank and for three years of training was laid out for them. So that at the end of that time they may serve the king. Three years of brainwashing. Three years of being teaching and taught things completely against his beliefs and what he had been brought up to understand. Three years. Now from amongst those was the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. From those there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We've heard of Daniel, most of us, but many of us don't have a clue. Maybe, who's Hananiah? Never heard of him. Who's Mishael? Who's Azariah? You know why we've never heard of them? We really have. But we've never really heard of them in their true identity. Why? Because the enemy steals their identity. Next verse, verse 7. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael he gave the name Meshach, and to Azariah he gave the name Abednego. The reason why they changed their names was that was a customary thing that they would do, because as a victor, after conquering a nation and removing them and taking them, as they took the as they took those who were exiled and enslaved into their land, they changed their names for this reason, as a sign of ownership. That's not who you are anymore. You now belong to me. I am giving you your name. You are now my possession. I own you. That's exactly what Satan wants to do to every one of us. And unfortunately for many of us, he has and he is. Because why? Satan wants to give you a new name and an identity that's attached to it. Your name is important as what we believe about ourselves influences every decision we make and every action we take. I'm reading this book right now. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. 
a lot of the materials we're going to be teaching this month. And it's a suggested reading for you all, I'm telling you. It's by Pastor Chris Hodges, The Daniel Dilemma. But I want to read just a few words out of this book. And this is what Pastor Chris Hodges writes. He says, my name is Christopher Wayne Hodges. My parents really didn't have any rhyme or reason for choosing the name Christopher or Wayne. They just liked those names and they liked how they sounded together. But as it turns out, the name Christopher means Christ bearer, which seems very fitting because I like the fact that my name and what I do are one of the same. Because every year as a pastor, I now have the opportunity to stand up and share the gospel of Jesus with hundreds of thousands of people. You see, every day I get the opportunity to represent Christ. I'm a Christ bearer. And my name now defines me accurately. accurately. It, def- it validates me and I like my name. But that's not the name I always believed. Growing up, I wasn't very popular. I didn't have any athletic skills. I wasn't very smart. In fact, I was pretty shy. That led to some fairly intense bullying from those who saw me as someone they could pick on without any repercussions. I tried to avoid it. I even would laugh it off at times, but it didn't work. I had to do something, anything. So I decided to win friends by taking on a new persona. I became the mischief maker. I'd be the one that took the dare. I would be the one that would crack the jokes. I would be the one that would do the ridiculous stunt just to make the crowd laugh and hopefully begin to accept me. And my strategy seemed to work for a while because I made new friends and I made kids laugh. And yes, I got noticed. But I also began to get into trouble on a regular basis. Basically, listen to this. I was trying to live out a name that wasn't really who I was. It was a name I thought I needed so I could find the acceptance to be liked. But when I turned to Christ at 15 years of age and I gave my life to Him, in the process of the healing and redeeming, my name began to change. I discovered the calling that God had in my life and the passion that I now had to share Christ with the world around me. Soon I had no doubt in my mind that I had been named by God and that God had given me an identity, identity he knew before I was even created. But I could only be the man he created me to be if I understood and accepted my name. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I said it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because so many of us have taken on a name and an identity that is not us to please other people, to be liked, to be accepted, to be taken in. We've become a victim of identity theft. To try and overcome the labels. You know those labels. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're good for nothing. You're fat. You're ugly. You know what those labels want to do? They want to redefine us. That we'll begin to believe that and then our identity and our lives will begin to follow that. Wow, sickness and disease, disabilities. That's another thing that wants to define us. Well, I can't do that. I can't be that. Why? Because of this. It begins to redefine us. Divorce, rejection, betrayal. 
can give us a new name. And we've got to be careful because so often we allow or we have let our circumstances determine the name that we're going to go by. Identity theft. We see it around us today. People stealing people's social security, taking their name, stealing everything and taking everything. And we can look and we can try to protect against all those things, and we should. But yet we're leaving ourselves the most important identity exposed many times as we're allowing every day the enemy to steal the name of who we are. I just want to show you for a few minutes just the names of Daniel. Because we can read those things, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but you've got to understand something, what the world wants to do in renaming and giving you a new identity. Look at the word Daniel. The word Daniel literally means this, God is my judge. God is the judge. God is the one I serve. Notice what the word Belshazzar means. You're now a lady, and your role is to protect the king. So his name is changed from a man accountable to an all-powerful God to a woman whose role is to protect her king. So what's the shift that's taken place from male to female? Attacking the gender. The shift has take the focus off God because he's my judge. He's all-powerful. He's the one I serve. Now to what? Focus on man. My job is to protect the king. So the shift is we go from an all-powerful God to a God with small g and a king who needs to be protected. Then there's Hananiah. Look at Hananiah. The word means Yahweh. That's a Hebrew word for God. Yahweh has been gracious, a gracious God. And he's given a name, Shadrach. I am now fearful of God. Now instead of his name meaning or seeing God as a gracious, kind and loving God, his new name is associated with the kind of fear that you would have standing before a tyrant, a maniac or a monster. So the shift is from God being good to God being really bad. The shift is from focus on God. He's gracious to what now? A focus on self. I am fearful. I am afraid. I am nothing. Michelle, who can compare to my God? No one. There's no question mark there. There's an exclamation mark. My God is great. There is none like my God. Given a name, Meshach. I am now despised, contemptible, and humiliated. From a name of great faith and great confidence. Now to a name of total rejection and total defeat. Come on, the shift is from a confidence to a cowardice. From a focus on God. Notice everyone takes the focus off God and puts the focus on self and man. Azariah, Yahweh, God has helped. Abednego now means I'm now the servant of Nebo. From being a son and an heir of God, now to be a slave of another man. The shift is... I've gone from serving the Son of God to now being a slave of man. Wow. Wow. Every one of their names and identity completely obliterating the true nature of God. That has been given. As their names were mentioned before, people heard God is great, God is good, God is awesome. But now we're seeing something completely different through the identity of their name. 
Now their names represent the culture. The Babylonian masters who have ruled over them. And it's happening to us too. I said it's happening to us too. Look at the name of Daniel from a man to a woman. What's one of the greatest attacks that we see today in our culture is what we call the defining of gender. They're now trying to say there's another gender that's not male or female. It's just kind of a little bit in between. Why? Because they're trying to answer the questions, not what man has given, but what, not what God has given, but what man has made. Because God has no question when it comes to the creation of his people. He has no question they are either male or female because that's how his word says he has created them. But now because I don't feel like a man or I don't want to act like a woman, now it's okay because there is no gender differential. You can just be what you want to be. That's the attack as the world wants to rename us, redefine us and change God. Come on, marriage, it's the same way. God says marriage is between one man and one woman. You can get upset with me. I didn't write it. God did. And now it's okay that men can marry men and women can marry women. It's not okay. Man, I was sick last night. Can I just tell you right now? Can I just make it clear? I was sick last night. I went to buy my wife a card. And under the cards, I picked up a card. It said, to a wife. And when I opened it, I said, you are the love of my life. And it was from a lady to another lady. I was sick. And, just, and then I noticed there's a male to a male right there in the card aisle now. Culture is telling us it's okay. Why? Because the laws say it's okay. But listen, it doesn't matter what the laws say. What God says is what we need to adhere to. Now, please don't understand. I'm not saying we need to be rebellious to the laws. But we need to follow God. And in following God, we will not be rebellious to this world. But listen to me. Things which were once inherent. What do I mean by that? It was just how it was. It's how it's always been. According to God's word, which is the truth. Things that were just that are now flexible. And they're up for debate. Look at this statement. Our culture today wants to claim qualities that can be shaped to suit what a person wants. It wants to claim such qualities like gender, like marriage, like sexuality. It wants to claim those qualities and shape them to suit what a person wants with what? No regard to God's original design. There's a purpose how God made each and every one of us. And that's why we've got to be clear to know who we are. Come on, we're righteous before we're right. We don't write those people off and say, you're just going to hell. Come on, we begin to be that bridge and we love them and show them that there is another way and that there is hope. And we teach them the truth of God. How do we do that? We've got to stand firm instead of conforming to what our culture says. Because the world around us even tells us this. If you're a Christian... You've got to accept everyone. You've got to believe everything. You've got to tolerate everything. That's a lie. That's a lie. Satan wants to wear us down. You know how he wears us down? The first way, or one of the ways he wants to wear us down is his, he wants to make us feel foolish for remaining faithful to God. Oh, you're just a fool. No one else is doing it. Have you ever been in an environment where you're the only one? 
It doesn't make you feel confident in your stand, does it? It makes you feel many times kind of foolish. Because that's how you feel. You kind of feel out of place. You feel like, oh, everyone's looking at me. <laughs> that's the, how the enemy wants us to feel. Why? Because he wants to rename us. He wants to us to go along with it. Here's another way he wears us down. He wants us to feel intimidated by the world. I feel intimidated by what's happening. Why? Because he wants to distract me from the relationship with God. And instead of worrying about my relationship with God, he gets me so busy worrying about what everyone else thinks. And trying to please everyone. The focus now is I've got to please everyone. Because if I'm not pleasing them, how can they be a great Christian? Listen, the cross itself is not a pleasing message. It's a bloody cross. It's not a great picture. God didn't tell us to go into the world and please everybody. In fact, if we do that, we're compromising his word because there's a lot of things in his word that will not please other people. But I'm telling you, it will still bring life to those people because it's hope. It's hope. Come on, we've become enslaved by others' approval. We're literally driven by the likes we get on social media. We're literally driven by they took me off their friendship. Yesterday I had 533 friends on Facebook and today I've got 532. Who doesn't like me anymore? (laughs) Come on, you laugh about it, but you know people have apps to find out who unfriended them. I I don't understand that. For what point? I mean, for goodness sake. And it's everyone's prerogative to like and dislike and, and unfriend and friend because that, that's how it is. But people allow their identity to be shaped by that. Come on, the positive comments. Come on, keep them coming and oh, I feel good. It's the approval factor. Oh, I like it when people retweet my tweets. That means I'm saying something good. Feeling good, feeling good. Look at this statement. Perhaps one of the most powerful statements you'll hear this year. I wish I had penned it. It's Chris Hodges, so don't quote me on it. Our identity shifts when we value those looking at the art more than the artist. What? Our identity shifts when we value those who are commenting, looking, critiquing, picking at, belittling. I don't like that about you. I don't like that. Come on. The artist made no mistakes when he made you. He made man, male and female. He made no mistakes. He made marriage between a man and a woman. He makes no mistakes. But the problem is when we look at the art instead of the artist. Listen to me. When culture shifts, I've got to end this message. When culture shifts and it has and it will. We need to know who we are. Come on. We need to know who we are. And you know how I know it helps me by knowing who I am. I've first got to remind myself whose I am. Come on, I'm God's kid. I'm God's kid. And you know what I know about God? Listen to me. God knows every moment of your past. (laughs) But yet he loves us as he didn't. That's the God that we serve. He wants to redeem our past. But too often we get in the way and refuse to let go of our old labels. Well, that's who I am. No, that's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's not your God-given names. Come on, we need some Hananias to stand up. We need some Azariahs. We need some Michelles to stand up and say once again, that's not my name. That's not my name. I heard a quote this week. It doesn't matter what people call you, but... What you answer to. 
call me whatever you want, but I'm not going to answer to that because that's not my name. Here's my name, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 from the Message Bible. But I am the one chosen by God. I am chosen for a high calling of priestly work. I am chosen to be His holy people. God's instrument to do His work, to speak out the truth for Him, to tell others about the night and day difference He has made from me. Come on, God took me from nothing to something. I was once rejected, but let me tell you something. Now I'm accepted. In Christ. Let me tell you your name today. Romans 8, 17. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You're God's kid. I said you're God's kid. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What do you think in your heart? Because that's what you're going to be. What identity are you believing? Because that's what you're going to be. As a man thinks, he is. So he is. Come on, the enemy wants to believe his name. But God has a name for you. It's pretty interesting. And definitely not surprising. That almost every name change. Story, every name changing story in the Bible takes place after an encounter with God. Jacob, what's your name? Deceiver, surplanter. God says, No longer. You're Israel, you're Prince of God. What's your name? Saul, you're a persecutor. You're a murderer of the Christian. No, you're not going to be Saul any longer. You're going to be Paul. You're now my apostle. You're now my child. I'm telling you right now, we need an encounter with the Heavenly Father that will give us a new name and a new identity because the Bible says, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. It's dead. It's buried. I am now raised to life in Christ Jesus. Come on. That's maybe who I was, but that's not who I am any longer. Oh, that was my old name when I run the streets. That's not who I am any longer. You know, I want to just say something. It's not in my notes. I want to step away. I want to say something. Some of you need to change your profiles on some of your social medias because the labels you are giving yourself is the label that the world gave to you. That was your drug head name. That was when you were a prostitute. That's when you were living in sin. That's when you were doing all those things. That's not who I am anymore. Come on, there's a new name today. It's a new name. It's a new identity. Devil, you ain't going to steal my name. Come on, names are important. That's why we changed the name of our church. We want this to be a place where people encounter God. In a powerful, life-changing way. Aren't you glad that God doesn't see what you are based on where you are now? But God sees what you can become based on where he wants to take you. Don't look at the wrong source. You know the wrong places that we look at? Just quickly, the wrong places we look at is physical appearance. If I can just change this, if I can just do this, then people will love me and I'll be happy and life will be great. First Samuel 16 verse 10, God says, don't t- worry about the outward Because the true identity comes from the heart. God says, that's where I look. That's what I want to see. 
start from the inside out. We start the wrong way round. We want to change the outside thinking it will change the heart. It won't. It will just leave you frustrated. It will leave you deceived and wondering who you are. Let God come into your heart and what he does inside of you will be played out all around you. Here's the second one. We want to Look into performance. If I can just do this and if I can do that, if I can get validations, if I can get achievements, I'm telling you right now, it will never be enough. They'll never be enough. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, he, uh, the, the, and Solomon writes this, who has pretty much everything the world has to offer. He said, but I looked at everything and I worked so hard to accomplish it, but yet it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Here's another wrong place, possessions. Come on, monetary worth. More stuff. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Luke 12, 15, and Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Come on, the world wants to steal your identity. I said the world wants to steal your identity. Paul said it this way, I've learned whatever state I am to find contentment. I know what it is to have much and I know what it is to have little, but in all things I can do it through Christ who gives me the strength. You see, that's where your confidence has to be in God. The world, as in Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, wants to take your name away from God and give you the identity of the world. But you need to stand up and take your name back. One last scripture and then I'm going to pray for you today. Ephesians 2 verse 10, band, you can come back. For you are... Come on, let's make this personal. For you are his workmanship. Come on, say that with me. For I am his workmanship. Come on, say that. For I am his workmanship. Come on, his work of art. His masterpiece, one translation says. I am created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. In other words, God named me for those things. God gave me an identity for those things. And now what does God want me to do? Walk in them. So what must we know as culture shifts? How can we stand firm for God? Here's what we've got to say. No one is going to name me. No one is going to rename me. No matter what, because God knows who I am. And I want to know through God who I am. Why? Because I want to help tell other people who they are in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads all over this place? Standing firm.